There's nobody like the Lord. There's nobody like the Lord. So we're going to praise and worship him this morning to let him know there's nobody like him. There's nobody like him.
Good morning. There is no one like our Lord. And even as we get ready to get into the word, I want you to keep that in the mind. There is no one like the Lord. <clears throat> I'm actually going to do just a little different in that I'm going to jump right into the word after that song that really leads into what we're going to say, but then I want to lead us in prayer afterwards because as you see the title, chapter 3, <clears throat> it's really about this prayer now that Paul uh, uh, makes for in intercession for the believers in Ephesus, for the Ephesians, and also in uh, looking forward to us as well. But he also gives us an example of what, a, of, of what those that are healthy in the church do as a result of recognizing their position and recognizing who they are in Christ is interesting. We will see in a moment, I'm going to pray and then get started, but our prayer time will be after <clears throat> the word. It is interesting that we see before Paul transitions from our position into our practice, he prays for us. He prays for the Ephesians, and what he prays for them is for who they are to be, I mean, what they are to do that comes out of who they, who they are because of what Christ has done. And so after he gives them their position, we've seen that in chapters 1 and in, and in chapter 2, he also now prays for us before he tells us who we are to be, how we are to practice, what we are to do as a result. But that prayer is critical and it is important and it is a model for us as we continue to live together <clears throat> as healthy individuals in a healthy body called the church. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for this time to be here this morning. <clears throat> thank you, Lord, for bringing us all in safely through the weather. Thank you, Lord, that we've been able to have a clear lot and be able to come in, Lord, um, in safety. Thank you for those, Lord, who are at home watching, and Lord, that indeed they can be inside somewhere where they can worship, Lord, and still be safe. We thank you for that. And Lord, we, we just pray that you would open our eyes. You would help us, oh Lord, to see that, that, that intercession <clears throat> is a healthy part of a healthy body and interceding for the right things is necessary as well. I pray you would open our eyes, help us to see what you are showing, help us to hear what you are saying, and help us to live according to how you are directing. We ask you this in Christ's name, amen. So if you turn to chapter three, <clears throat> We have to, as we start this off, go back to just the end of chapter 2 because Paul's introduction in 3 is connecting us to what he just finished in 2. And so when he says in verse 1, for this reason I, and then he, he goes on that for this reason, for what reason, you have to ask. If someone says for this reason to you, you know, if, if a person, they come up and said, look, for this reason, I'm leaving. And you go, what reason? The issue becomes, he goes back to 19 through 22 of chapter 2, and you get the for what? And so because of what Christ has done, and we heard that wonderfully last week from Elder Wright, because of what God has done, <clears throat> Verse 19, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Position, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, and then in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So he says, in light of... What God is doing is building us all, the church general, overall, universal, into a holy dwelling place, into a spiritual temple where he worships, where he, I mean, where he dwells, 
<clears throat> and where his presence is seen, where his glory is seen and understood. Since that is the case, Paul goes, for this reason, I need to pray for y'all. Because prayer is needed to move from just position to practice. See, he understands that I may have position all day long, but if I don't practice out of, if I don't live out of that position, it doesn't do me any good, and it doesn't demonstrate the glory of God to the world in the church. We have a lot of people that want to claim to be a part of the church position, but there's no practice lifestyle because you can't see anything. And what Paul is doing is what we should be doing too, and that is consistently and constantly interceding for the church general, um, uh, particular believers or locations specifically, because that's what he's doing here with the saints in Ephesus, <clears throat> so that we are, as we get to chapter four, being able to live out what God has already done in our lives. Don't take prayer as something that I can pass off. It's really not needed. All I do is before a meal or when I'm in trouble. But this prayer is to be an integral part of our lifestyle and us intimately standing in for one another. Many times I think we talk to God about one another, but it's not prayer. It's usually something like, Lord, I don't believe your children. God, I don't understand what they're doing. Lord, can you do something about them, please? God, I'm done with them. They're yours. Instead, what he wants us to do, like Paul, is to have this burden in our hearts to stand in and intercede specifically in some areas so that God would be seen and his glory would be declared through the church. And so he starts off with that for this reason, but then Paul does something different, and I'm going, to, <clears throat> I'm going to speak to that for just a moment. But before he gets into his prayer, Paul has, first point, what I would call, he has this pre-prayer revelation. And so he starts off, in essence, he starts off to pray and then seems to intentionally digress right before he starts off. What do I mean? Because if you look at verse one, it says, for this reason, I, and then he begins to explain some things about himself and what God has done and what he has revealed. But if you look at verse 14, the same word for this reason comes again. I was looking at that and looking at that. And as you read it through, you realize that verses, <clears throat> verses one through 13, after the for this reason goes, that doesn't seem to be a reason, Paul. You seem to be talking about something different. So what you can say is Paul, as he begins to start, puts a big parenthesis. That's a long one. He has a 13-verse parenthesis before he gets into his prayer. It's almost like the preacher saying, I'm going to close, and then he does that about 20 minutes later. I'm not going to do that to y'all today. I'm not closing. <clears throat> but what he ends up doing is he... He has to prep them for, for the greater reason as to why he's praying. So Paul's pre-prayer revelation is kind of threefold. First one is that, that, that he wants them to see that this prayer, number one, connects to who they are. We already talked about that. But then also he wants them to understand that he was chosen um, as a steward of God's grace in proclaiming the gospel to them. He is getting ready to tell them something that has been revealed that had not been prior to him writing to them about the Gentiles. And he says, the reason I'm sharing it is because that, that, that great grace that we've been talking about through chapters one and two that God lavished on us, well, he lavished it on me in particular because he chose me to be able to preach to you. He gave me that privilege of reaching out to the Gentiles. Now you have to understand this. So the first, um, the first part was that, that he was chosen as a steward of God's grace. And the grace was the gospel that was proclaimed. He saw it as a privilege. 
And you have to understand that. Paul being a hardened, being a, <clears throat> a, a lifetime, long time prior to coming to Christ, you know, traditional conservative Jew, you have to understand that. And that he is counting in a privilege to spend his life talking to, proclaiming, developing non-Jews who he despised at one point. So he is now realizing that his calling would be in an area <clears throat> that someone outside of Christ would consider, uh, that would not consider it a privilege. For him, he sees it as it is. It is God's grace that he gets to minister to this group of people. And for some of us, we are just busy going, Lord, when you're changing me, when am I out of here? When am I done? I'm tired of these folk. Boy, this, this, this just spoke volumes about when God has us somewhere and his grace is laid upon us that we get the opportunity and the privilege to share and to serve somewhere. It speaks to us in that sometimes we don't see it as a privilege. We see it as a curse. God, like, did I do something wrong to you, Lord? Why you still got me here? Lord, what, 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 what? I'm, 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 I'm not sure if, if I'm on your nice list or your, or your naughty list. I don't see this as a privilege. Thank you for the job, but Lord, really? And so <clears throat> when I look at Paul here, he says, number one, he says, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. How the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive any insight into the mystery of Christ, which was made known to the sons of men in other which was not made known, excuse me, to the sons of men in other generations as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. So the first thing he says, look, that this grace, the gospel, this, because it is, God's grace is the gospel. The fact that he is coming to people who were destined for destruction, no hope, and there was no sign of hope. You weren't going to make it out. This wasn't, I would have made it on my own. I didn't really need your help, God. I was on my way to do it. I was going to get it done. No, there was no hope. We were done, finished, case closed and sealed. And he opened and he delivered the gospel. That is God's grace. And so when you get to proclaim the message of the gospel because you have been set free, God is placing on you a stewardship. Understand what a steward is. Or who was to, they were the ones who were in charge of resources that weren't theirs given to them to complete an assignment. Stewards understood they were to manage well what they've been given because it wasn't theirs. It was theirs to manage, but it wasn't theirs to own. And so God for you and I gives us this gracious opportunity, number one, he brought you to himself. He brought us to himself. And then two, he sends us back out with the privilege of sharing this gospel with others. Let me ask you, when was the last time you considered sharing your faith, living out and sharing the gospel a privilege, or do you see it as a burden? Paul saw for him, he saw it, his ultimate privilege, his life's goal was to proclaim the gospel and to watch these Gentiles, these non-Jews who he one time despised and they were not a part of what God was. He was charged with doing that. And now he saw that as the greatest privilege in the world. Wow. And it says for you and I, what has God called you to? that you consider a boring job and not being a steward of his grace? What is God putting on your plate in your purview 
in your way that he wants you to see as a privilege. And it might just be the people that you'd rather not be around until God deals with your heart as he did for Paul because Paul constantly, when he spoke to the Gentiles, always talked about himself as a chief sinner, as the least of the apostles. And he, and he said that to a group that would have held him probably higher than any of the apostles because of how he was with them. But he always said, I'm the least. I don't deserve to be here, but I am and I'm glad. The second thing in Paul's revelation is this mystery. And here's the big part with it. Most of us say, that's not a mystery. Well, to you and I, it's not. But at this particular point, God's ultimate plan had not been revealed. And that he was now going to tell them, the reason I'm praying for you and the reason you have this position is because, and he's reiterating, God's plan is being fully revealed now. What was that plan? That he was in Christ creating a new humanity, one new humanity. What do you mean by that? He wasn't starting over to physically create a new being. What he was saying was that now that the Gentiles are one and are included in the promises as those Jews who had the promises down through the centuries and now embrace Christ. They are now one. That was news to them at that time. The mystery was what God was doing from all before up until that point was getting it ready. And now in and through Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection, that they would be brought into one new humanity, and that's how God saw them. And so he created his church, this body of living stones that he was that he is bringing into a place where his presence can be seen and understood. And it would come through these, to this combination of people we saw in chapter one and two that would have never gotten together if it wasn't for Jesus Christ. And so he said, he reveals this mystery. No one understood it. <clears throat> Jews thought that they were special among special. And now the Gentiles are coming to Christ and maybe they wanted to discount the Jews, but y'all ain't all that. And God says, no, 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 you don't understand. For the Jews, they had the promises and yet they rejected the Christ. And yes, y'all were responsible for killing him. And he says, to the Gentiles, y'all weren't even included, so don't say anything. And so I brought y'all in, and so now y'all are one. Neither one of you deserve to be here, but you are, and you are together. See, we have to understand that. If the mystery revealed is that factions can now be brought together and stand as one new humanity glorifying God, why do we think division is okay with God? If the mystery throughout all time was God, after man had fallen in sin, was creating a new humanity that only represented one kind of person before him, a member of his, God does that. That's why the scriptures say there is neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither male nor God sees one kind of person, the one that has been forgiven of their sins, trusting in him, walking in him as a disciple. Yes, he knows he created diversity as he looks out at his artistic work, but they're all one kind of person before him. And yet for us, we still have all different kinds. And so we see here that the mystery was Revealed in the third part of that in his pre-revelation, he says, so listen, I don't want y'all to get bent out of shape because this must have been a point where they felt the pressure on their physical lives <clears throat> because he says in verse 13, so I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. What do you mean suffering? Well, you take it back up to verse one where he says, for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus. And so we know, because we said it from the beginning, Ephesians was one of those prison epistles. He wrote this letter while he was in prison. 
and that probably spooked and freaked out some of the saints back then. We read it as no big deal. Okay, he's in prison, but, but, but Paul's not in prison right now as we're reading the letter. But for them reading the letter, they understood that he was in prison and didn't know if he would get out or not, if it would cost him his life. And the pressure now is on them. Like, hold on a second. Well, if this giant in the faith, if this man that's been leading and teaching us is in prison, what does that mean for us? And it starts to shake and rattle the faith of some. Sometimes when we watch our heroes in the faith go through trials, sometimes when we watch people that we've held high because of their maturity and walk in the Lord and they are suffering and they are going through, sometimes we go, okay, God, I, 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 what's that going to mean for me? How am I going to handle this? And what Paul was telling them, listen, before I get into praying for you, look, since I am here by the Lord's doing. See, he laid the groundwork. I'm a prisoner, first of all, of Christ Jesus. This is, this is God's doing that I'm here. I know that messes with some people's theology. God allowed him to be in prison. Yeah, yeah, that was part of his plan. He was in prison. And he wrote this from there. And then he goes, look, God has got this fully under control. If, if, if he can, from, from way past, bring his plan about through his prophets and apostles, and if he can, through his Christ, now create this new humanity, do you think he's worried about me being in a Roman prison? And what he's telling those believers is, calm down. I'm good, and so are y'all. That's why he says, I don't want you to lose heart. Then any of y'all start backing up and going, I don't know if this is for me. And I say to some of us right now, boy, as the heat is on and, and, and Christians are under fire or the temptation is to divide, God goes, look, don't start flaking out now. I've been able to hold this church together through a whole lot more than this. I've been able to accomplish my plan through a whole lot more than what y'all are dealing with. And even if it gets hard and costs you your life, God says, listen, I've had others that have come before you that have, and I've welcomed them home. He still says, do not lose heart. See, notice he didn't say, everything's going to be okay. Y'all just keep praying, I'm going to be out. And say that. He just said, don't lose heart. Because this is God's plan. And that's what God may be saying to some of us today. A healthy church realizes God's plan is always in effect, period. Whether it gets fiery hot or it's smooth sailing, it doesn't matter. See, if you are of the belief that God is constantly bringing about his plan and that he is the one administering and he is the one directing and leading and he is still in control even when it seems like things are totally out of control, if, if you can embrace and believe that, you won't lose heart. You won't give up. You won't back away. And then Paul gets into, for that, then he gets into his prayer. He gets into... <clears throat> He gets into this time where he wants to specifically help them understand, but I like what Paul's prayer's context, his, his, his position in this prayer. Verse 14, he says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father. And he starts off in this prayer for the saints in the humble position before God as Father before the head of the family. And not only the head of the family, when he says in that next verse, from whom every family in heaven and earth is named, actually, if you were looking in the Greek, it was a play on words because that word for family is also seen as another word for father. So in essence, it was, I bow my knees from the father from whom every fatherhood, every family, every leader, every unit comes from. In other words, other families throughout. And this is kind of a nod toward creation. Everything that God had me, everything that exists, every clan, every tribe, every, <clears throat> um, every nation, 
has derived itself from God. And so I bow my knees in essence before the creator of everything you see around you. And I love the humble position before he prays. Unlike some of us, I've even been guilty. Now, God, look, I need you to listen. I, I, I've, this is tough. I, God, I need you. No. He says, I bow my knees. I come humbly. And I'm not even coming for myself. I come humbly. And as we read through this prayer, notice the absence of the physical. Not that you never pray for the physical, because you do. But when he is spending his time interceding for them, <clears throat> as he explains, the physical will come and will be taken care of. He goes into their spiritual life and ultimately their spiritual maturity. So let's get into it. First of all, as he be, second of all, sorry, as he begins to pray, his prayer relies on the unending riches. And I love this. He's saying, as I'm praying, you guys have got to understand where the resource, where the source of this prayer and what I'm praying for comes from. Verse 16, he says that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. I love that. He says, what I'm praying is going to be the result of what God has. He said, just in case you think my prayer is crazy, he says, this is according to the riches of his glory. In other words, that riches of his glory talks about according to the, to the lavishness of who he is, his character, and how he gives. And when you just look at the grace that he talked about, he gave lavishly. When we jump back to chapter 1, we see the ridiculous, lavish grace in the gospel. I know many times when we hear lavish, when we hear he is abundantly given, we don't think spiritual. God has lavishly blessed me. God has given me all. And, and, and we like to quote the cow on a thousand hills. I, 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 let's get beyond that. Yes, we need those things. But the lavishness that Paul talks about on several times, on several occasions, here included, is the lavishness of the grace of God that has you even communicating with God. When we can grab the fact that the greatest demonstration of God's lavishness is not how he blessed you financially, not how he gave you and you fill in the blanks, but it's the fact that you sit before him as a part of his family, knowing that you are his and that your eternal destiny is set. That is the greatest demonstration of how God gives. And if that is not the greatest to you, God says you need a reset in your mindset so that you begin to see really what is critical and what is important. And so not only does his prayer come out of a submission and a humility before God, and it relies on this unending source, God's lavishness and his richness in, in glory, and that is not for the material, He has two requests in that prayer. The first one is that there would be an inner strengthening by God so that Christ, I mean, an inner strengthening, and that is equal to Christ dwelling in them. And the second one is that they would be filled with this four-dimensional knowledge that he talks about. So let's look at the first one. First one is, he says that he prays that he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And just stop right here. <clears throat> it looks like you need to be strengthened in order that Christ may dwell. But actually what that reads is that Christ dwelling in you is by the strengthening of the spirit. In other words, those are two parallel statements. And so understand that 
It isn't that I need to be strengthened so that Christ can dwell in me. No, when you came to Christ, Christ is in you. But that, but, but that phrase that Christ may dwell in you, that word dwell is a more permanent. In other words, when you came to Christ, yes, Christ entered into your life by God's spirit. Yes, he did. <clears throat> but what Paul is referring to here is that, is that Christ would take up permanent residence in your life which and, and in that inner being, it is known throughout history, especially in the Jewish world, that that inner man was the seat of decision, of will, of love, of emotion. So at the core of who you are, Christ has taken up residence. And so his prayer is that you would be spiritually maturing people evidenced by the life of Christ being at home in your life. And so the issue becomes, is Christ at home in my life or is he still visiting? Do I take him up and I say, hold on, Lord, I, I, I'll, I'll let you back in in a little while. I got to take care of something. I got some people I got to handle. Why don't you hang outside for a little bit? I'll be right back. But so when it says that Christ may dwell in you, Christ, in essence, for us, would say Christ is at home in you. And so let me ask you, how are you praying for saints and believers like that? When was the last time that those people that God sent you to, you may not have been, a, they may not have been the people that you went to by choice, <clears throat> but God has you there. When was the last time you are interceding that they mature in the faith as demonstrated by Christ being at home in their life, by the decisions and the life of Christ being seen in their life because Christ is at home. Now, I know <clears throat> when we have visitors, we tell people, make yourself at home. We really don't mean that. We know that. Because for some folk, if they took you up on that, whenever we get to having folk back in our house and they start taking off shoes and they start taking off other items of clothing, you'd be like, yo, like, what you doing? You said, make myself, hey, this is what I do at home. And we would go, that's at your home, not mine. But when we say to Christ, make yourself at home, what we're saying is there is no room that is off access. There is no place that you can't speak to. There is no spot in my life that you don't have influence over. There isn't anywhere that you can direct in my life that I'll say, no, that's off limits to you. And so when Christ is dwelling in us, <clears throat> what that means is that you and I have allowed him free reign and that he can speak, direct, talk, lead in any area, entertainment, relaxing, work, study, relationships, it doesn't matter. Christ is at home in you. That is Paul's first prayer for them. He says, listen, now that you are in the family, now that you by this lavish grace have been brought in together into this new humanity, I need to pray for y'all. And he kind of let it, you know, into it somewhere. He tells them, don't worry about me. They were feeling the heat and the pressure of being Christian in an ungodly society. Remember where they are, Ephesus, central city boy, big time, temple of Diana right there. And this was one central, and even the region under Roman rule. And so being a Christian was not easy. And the pressure was on. And his prayer for them wasn't that they would, you know, uh, you would be able to see your destiny and God blessing you with that new. You weren't interested in that. The issue was that you would be a mature believer allowing Christ to have reign in your life. That was his prayer. Who are you praying for like that? When was the last time that someone got on your nerve that you said, Lord, I'm going to pray that I be mature and they be mature? Because I'm not trying to go there with him. I can, but I'm not trying to. <clears throat> so he prays that indeed Christ may dwell in them 
And I love this. And the second one is this fourth dimensional. But before he gets there, he says, you know, 17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. I, I, I love that, that I, may fi- that I may be filled with the fullness. I love the plain words there too, that you may be filled with the fullness. And it almost sounds like you can get there like, like oh, okay, God, bless me that I'm filled with your fullness and I'm done. No, that's not, ex- that, that's not what it means at all. Well, let's break it down and see what he's talking about. He says here, look, second request, I want you to be strengthened inwardly in the seat of your decision, in the core of who you are, that Christ is reigning in your life. That's first. Then second, that because you are rooted and grounded in love, I love that. He uses two terms that gives us a picture. He says, because you've been chosen by God, by an act of grace, not of your own, and you've now been placed into this family by an act of grace, not on your own, because of his unconditional love for you, he says, I want you to understand to be rooted, meaning planted in the soil of love and grounded by the foundation of love. So he gives both an, an agricultural and a construction Um, um, analogy here that you being rooted, planted in the soil of love, because it was God's love that brought you here, and that the foundation of your life is that love that God poured in you, then you would grow to understand the love of Christ as you live your life. Do you see the theme here? He says to them, I'm wanting you to know that after I pray for you and your inner man, and you growing and maturing, I'm praying that you understand what it means to love God through his Christ. Wow. That speaks to this whole issue of division and lack of unity. I'm like, there's nothing disunifying in that at all. There isn't anything where I have my issue, you have yours, and we, and, 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 and look, don't, don't, Tell me I'm dividing over the truth. God says that as you speak the truth, even that needs to be grounded in love. And so what he says, the mark of a healthy believer in essence is that one who is being strengthened inwardly at the core of who they are, allowing Christ to reign freely in their lives and, and, Their life is a demonstration that they have been growing in the soil of love. They have a foundation of love in their life, and they're learning what it means to know the love of Christ as they live out their life. Now, please don't get love wrong that you think it's just some sort of soft, you know, we just kind of go for the feeling of it all. No, that love is, again, when we talk about the love of God, it is that unconditional unconditional, beneficial concern for our well-being. He does something about it. And so for us, as we love, for us, it is that it is that beneficial love. We are always looking out for the well-being of another for their benefit, not for ours, according to the standard of God, not ours. And so it becomes now for us this whole issue of loving people is what is it that will be best for them, not what I think is best for them, according to the standard of God in all of their life, and I respond to that as I deal with them. And so I love this because this this whole issue of, of the of the fullness of God, or they would be filled with a four-dimensional knowledge of God. There have been some that have discussed what this meant, and two of the of the <clears throat> of the interpretations. There is one that is accepted most uh, most commonly, but there were two. One of them was in um, because those words about this this volume of understanding 
can be found in Job 11, 8 and 9, where he says the mysteries of God are here. Let me, let me just read it real quick. Let me get it just real quick. I didn't have that marked off, but you guys are going to be all right. Job 11, 8 and 9. All right, pages, don't stick together too much. Here we go. <clears throat> As he's talking, you can read the whole verse later. Um, verse 7, I would say, can you find out the deep things of God? Can you find out the limit of the Almighty? It is higher than the heaven. What can you do? Deeper than Sheol. What can you know? It measures longer than the earth and broader than the sea. See, this is one of those times where they talk about the volume, that, 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 that four-dimensional. But really what is believed here is that this is representing the fullness of the love of Christ. And he says that you would understand it, but but... But understand what needs to happen first. Before you can understand this height, length, breadth, width, this, this, this volume of what it means to love Christ and the love of Christ, he says something has to happen first. God needs to give you the power so that you grow spiritually and you begin to mature. And as you begin to mature, you understand more and more what God, what his love is like that got you to be who you are today. As you do that, you begin to understand how Christ loves. And as you understand how Christ loves in increasing measure, you start to love people that way. And so when he says the climax of this all is that you reach the point where you are being filled with the fullness of God, this is not a destination sentence that he's saying. It is saying how you are growing. You are fully growing, understanding in increasing measure, you never fully get there because we can't fully comprehend God in these little brains of ours, but that you are growing in the fullness. See, some of us are growing, but we're growing in one area. And we are masters of one area. You know, that's like a person, you look at them when they're lifting weights and they got the biggest arms in the world, but the rest of them is skinny. And you want to tell them, bruh, have you ever heard of leg day? I was like, like, you might want to work on that stomach too while you're at it. Because all they got are just big arms. And for some of us, all we got are big arms spiritually. We are good in one area and that's it. And we frustrate people and others. And it is this fullness of the love of Christ is that you are understanding fully in all areas what it means to love him, what it means to actually love others representing him. And it takes God empowering you by his spirit, people interceding on your behalf for that process to continue throughout your life. So that's why I called it intercessory prayer for the privileged. We are privileged to be in this family. We, we, we are, it is, look, if you still think it is something that you did or the family that you were born in, you're still missing it. God says there is nothing about you, your parents, your grandparents, your ancestors. There is nothing about any of them that got me to choose you. It was purely on what I wanted to do, the Lord says, and that's why you're here. Remember, he said, hey, you didn't choose me. I chose you. And so he tells us that, look, Paul gets excited when he says in verse, um, <clears throat> in verse 19, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And the Ephesians were starting to get it. And then the last part, as we finish, he says, was Paul's, um, after Paul's intercessory prayer for the Gentiles, which was twofold, we see here at the end this great doxology, Paul's doxology to the keeping power of God. See, he lays this out for them, and they would have seen this as like, wow, not like, boy, Paul just... You know, Paul just spit some deep stuff out there, y'all. 
I'm serious. They'd be back there going, what? See, we today, we can pick up this and just read it and anytime, okay, 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 yeah, you know, that I'll be strengthening my inner man. Yeah, yeah, no, 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 no. When they read this, they were like, what? Really? That, that, can, be, that can be us? <clears throat> and then he ends it and says, look, just in case y'all think this is something that's unattainable, he goes, now to him who was able to do far more abundantly than all we can ask or think. I want to stop there because, boy, we sell ourselves short when we use this verse out of context. It is usually about something material. God can do more than you can think, y'all. Totally out of context. He was just talking about them doing something that humanly is impossible. How are you going to grow in knowing to be filled up in the fullness of God? Really? Yeah, hold on a second. Let me just take out my Bible, read it. I got it. I could be filled with the fullness of God now. God says that takes supernatural empowering once you yield your life to Christ, and it will take your entire life for it to happen. And so he says, so look, now to him who can do more. I know y'all didn't think this was possible. Now to him who is able to do abundantly, far more than you can even think, as it pertains to you growing and loving and understanding the fullness of God and loving others as Christ loved them, God can do it. That's the time when you can say, won't he do it? That, he says, he he can do that. You can represent the glory of God and people stand in amazement at the way you love others. And they'll say, boy, you look like Christ. And you say, won't he do it? Because it's him that's doing the work. He says, according to the power at work within us. I love that because just in case we start feeling ourselves one day, boy, he says, according to the power that's at work and, and, and the power that's at work in you isn't you, is him. Because we read that further up. He said that, that I'm praying that you will be strengthened in your inner man by the spirit. Because that strength is not coming from in you, it's coming from outside. It's, it's, it's in you, but it's coming from God in you. And then he says, boy, loving, he says it to him be glory in the church and in Christ throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. I love how he ends this. He says, look, <clears throat> those who aren't his will be evident, but those who are his will be kept and it will be evident. I like his, it will be evident because of the power that's working in them. And then he ends it to him. To him, to God, be glory in the church. Boy, I had to stop there for a second. Really? Is God being glorified in his church? Let's not just, is, is who he is being seen in grand display through his church? I have to ask us, are we healthy in that area? Is this local fellowship and assembly demonstrating the glory of God because Christ is dwelling in our hearts as we are strengthened inwardly and that we are learning to be filled with the fullness of Christ as we grow in him and love others? Is, is God being seen in that? Because that's how the glory comes. And as that glory is shown, he said, boy, he says, to him be glory, I love this, in the church. A divided church can't represent the glory of God. Impossible. Because God's not a divided God. And all he did to bring us to a new, one new humanity, anything that pulls us apart, which is why Paul got into the Corinthian church so much, he said, this doesn't make sense, y'all. And he says, boy... To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus. And this is what I like. Not just now for all Ephesians. Throughout all generations. Paul just went forward <laughs> all the way to us and beyond. However long the Lord allows this thing to stay on this planet. He says that this glory in the church and this glory in Christ it's for all generations. God's power and his keeping power will last and will be sustained. We don't need to be upset. You know, these are, these are the hardest of times. God says, stop it. 
My church is going to demonstrate my glory in all generations. Now, those who are not a part, even though they may show up with those who are the church, will be found out and will be evident. Those who walk away, those who quit, those who say this isn't for me, you've just demonstrated for yourself that you may not have belonged to him or you lack the understanding and the strengthening of what it means to be in the family of God. <clears throat> but those who are truly his will always be kept, and in every generation we will have those that will be kept and are truly his. So he tells us, y'all, don't worry. Stop it. Don't worry about the church fizzling. Church is under attack. Church has always been under attack since its beginning. You know, they're always pushing against us. You are in this sinful world. They will always be pushing against you. You know, life isn't what it used to be. That's okay. Jesus is who he's always been. See, the issue is we aren't going anywhere if we are truly his. God will be represented. His glory will be seen and his love will be given because that's what healthy believers and a healthy church is like. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much, Lord, that you have given us Christ. You have called us to yourself, saved us, brought us into this new family, positioned us greatly, lavished on us your grace by proclaiming the gospel and given us entrance into your family, setting our eternity, and Lord, allowing us, <clears throat> Father, to be in this together with you, knowing that it can't be broken, it can't be stopped, and it won't end. God, you have lavishly loved. And Father, I pray that we would realize that. Father, I pray that you would strengthen us. You would grant us to be strengthened. Lord, let the enabling power of your Holy Spirit strengthen us in the core of who we are, not this outside flesh. This is, this is wasting away. This is getting old, aging, falling apart. God, but inside, Paul says, the inner man is being renewed every day. Father, and I pray that would be true of us, that we would be strengthened inwardly um, as Christ is dwelling in us that he has free reign in the areas of our lives, that he is pointing his finger on things and we are surrendering them, oh God, and we are learning to give them over. But then, Lord, I pray that we would <clears throat> be planted in the soil of love, Lord, that we know that you love us. We're not trying to fight and live for your approval. We live out of your approval. We live because you have approved us in Christ. And Lord, the foundation of our life is your love. And I pray that on that, Lord, that as we learn the fullness of your love, which only comes by the strengthening of your spirit, God, that we would in turn now love others out of that fullness. Father, I pray that we would stop depending on ways of this world to love one another. Ways of this world to show who you are. Father, I pray that we would stand like Christ stood. Lord, we can't do this in our own and of our own, but we do it by your spirit. Father, I pray for all of us and intercede for all of us, Lord, <clears throat> that we would count important. We would count it critical. Father, to be spiritually maturing people in your family, that we would count it important to be people growing in the fullness of the love of Christ. And Father, we would be serious about you getting the glory, you being seen as great as you are through our lives individually, but all, and especially collectively as we're in relationship with one another. Father, let us not settle for the crumbs that are out there from the world. Let us want the meat of what you are giving and how you are empowering us. 
Let us not be different just to be different, Lord. Let us be different because it's how you want us to live. And so, Father, we commit ourselves to you. I pray for anyone here today, God, that does not know you, whether they are here sitting or are watching. Father, I pray that you would grip their hearts and, Lord, they would understand what it means to be a follower of Christ and how impossible it is to do it without the strengthening power of your spirit. And I pray that we would, oh God, allow you. Father, I pray for that person that doesn't know you, that they would give in, would hear, would repent, would realize Christ is the only remedy for their sins and become a part of that new humanity. Lord, I pray that we would love like you love when we are empowered by you. I pray today that as we leave here and we encounter life, Lord, that we would remember the scriptures that you have given, the word, Lord, that has been taught. And Father, help us to rely on your spirit. And when we fall, Lord, and if we fall, I pray indeed, God, that we would allow you to get us back on track, Father, so that we can continue to demonstrate this great grace that you've lavished on us, that we would be called children of God. Father John stated in his letter, oh, what manner of love Father has given or lavished on us that we would be called children of God. That's what we are. Father, I just pray that we would understand who we are in Christ and live out of that understanding. I ask you this in Christ's name, amen. <clears throat> and this morning, um, I just pray that you do just remember what God has done to get you to the position you have in Christ. Remember who you are in Christ and then remember what is available to you as a member of the family of Christ. And then this is not just for you. Intercede on behalf of others so that you are properly positioned to pray and help them grow. Amen? We're getting ready to end for the day. Um, just to remember real quick, <clears throat> um, this week is coming up. If you haven't already signed up, I think there are still some spots for our uh, Boxes of Love distribution that will happen this Saturday, the 6th. Um, we still need folk for... Um, Two different shifts. It is the setup and execution early part and execution breakdown latter part. And that we are still looking for people and that we do need people also that will be available <clears throat> to help us in our prayer um, venture as well, being available for those who want prayer. One opportunity that we do have specifically um, that we have two people from our fellowship that would be willing to go over to the newcomer school during that time. They will be distributing at the same time as we are from 11 till one. Um, and that here is a school, not a Christian school, <clears throat> not a religious organization at all, but they are allowing us to have as optional for those who would want it. Um, we will ask them in both English and Spanish and actually English, Spanish, and I believe it's French they have there for those that may want prayer as they are receiving their boxes. And if they say yes, we'll have a separate station and stand um, for people praying for those that come over and any other conversation that happens. Because once they come over for prayer, then you can be able to share Christ as well with them because they've come over on their own choice. And so we do need two people from us that will be able to share there as well. And the school is willing, they even ask, hey, do you guys need a covering in the tent? Because we're going to be outside, I said, great. And so just making it such that we're able to minister there as well as here. So if you are available next week, um, the time for serving is 10 till 1. The distribution will be from 11 till 1. 10 is the setup. Um, if you are available, please, you can go onto our website and sign up um, for it. Um, I believe um, if you're on our email list, you would have gotten an email um, notice with the link that would have given that as well. If you have any problems with that, call us 
um, this week at the church and let us know. Um, with that, also, I have to remind us <clears throat> that we still stay on with our, please, let's stay on with how we handle our distancing and being inside. Have been made aware that when it's gotten cold, we've decided just to not leave and hang out inside and talk. And uh, I just want us to be careful with that in that we are still keeping ourselves at proper distance and and all that. So when we're done, I just ask that we not congregate for long periods of time, that we go ahead and dismiss ourselves. I know on a day like today, we're not going to be hanging out in the parking lot long, but that's okay. Um, we can still see each other's faces as you dismiss. So guys, have a great week. Um, you can read ahead. Next week is chapter four, which begins, what do we do now that we've been told our position and then we've been prayed for? Now, what do we do? And so we'll start to look at that next week through the end of the book. You guys be blessed. Have a great week and may the Lord be with you. You're in the hands of our ushers. Morning, morning, morning. Come on. We've already started to rise. Make sure we didn't drop anything on the floor um, around our seats. Gather up all of your belongings and bundle up. Our sections over here will follow the directions of um, Lamont in the back. And my usual, too, know what to do.